Good afternoon, folks. This is Mark Rayshap. It's Another Bottle Down, the show about wine and the wine industry in Austin, Texas. And today uh, is going to be a wonderful, uh, wonderful interview with a very knowledgeable winemaker from the Champagne region of France. He's traveled a long way to, to be here and, and to record in the co-op studios. So we really thank him. Michel Parisot is a chef de cave, and we're going to talk about what that means, but he's chef de cave of the Montadon Champagne House. So uh, welcome, Michel. Thank you for being here. Right. Thank you. Good morning. Yes. Well, well, let's start off by talking about what is a chef de cave? As a chef de cave, is in charge uh, of all the vinification and uh, to, to select uh, the, really the, the, the wines for the different uh, blends we have to do. And as well, uh, I have uh, to, to select the good parcel of vineyards and to help the vine growers uh, in their work in the, in the vineyards. But uh, really, I have to, to taste all the wine to prepare the vinification, the harvest, and really to prepare all the blends. It's very long, uh, very uh, interesting work. Right, as well. right, right. So vinic- vinification is uh, kind of just a, a fancy word for, for winemaking, right? Yes, what, it's what, winemaking, sorry. And, yeah, well, no, 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 but it's good, it's good that you say that. So why don't you call yourself a winemaker? Sorry? Why don't you call yourself a winemaker if, if, if you know, you're, you're essentially in charge of making the wine? Yeah, yes, that's right. But, uh, you know, in, in Champagne, it's not only uh, f- to make the, the wine and... Perhaps the, the most important work for a chef de cave in Champagne is to make the blends because uh, we have to select uh, uh, wines from the different uh, villages, the different crus we have in Champagne, and uh, to, to maintain the, the quality, to maintain the consistency of the quality of our uh, different blends, different cuvées. Uh, we have to really to, to select the good wines and uh, to adapt uh, all the wines every year to, to adapt uh, uh, the, the blends of the quality of the, the year of the harvest because some years are, you have a lot of uh, maturity and other years uh, you have a lot of acid it's um, but we have to maintain always the style of each cuvee and yeah. You, uh, people, when they, they taste the wine, they don't have to find difference between the different uh, cuvées, even if uh, it's come from different years. So really, it's a, a big work of memory, and it's a, it's a big work to select the, the good wine. So th- that's something incredibly interesting that folks who are listening and, and part of the public uh, and the wine-loving public in the U.S., um, they see on a bottle of champagne, most of the champagne out there, non-vintage. Yes, that's right. Which, which, which means, but but it's not just, uh, there are vintages that go into that, right? And and it might be a certain percentage of uh, a vintage that's four years old, a certain percentage of a vintage that's uh, eight years old, nine years old, 10 years old. And the, the wineries, the champagne house's goal is to have the consistency year to year. And that's when you come in, right? Yes, that's right. Yeah. In fact, in the non-vintage represents uh, nearly for champagne house, not only for Montaudon, but for the, all the champagne house generally, it represents uh, 85, 90% of the production. So yeah. it's very important and really the style of Champagne House is made with uh, non-vintage. Right. So it's absolutely uh, 
important for, for a champagne house. And uh, to maintain the style of this non-vintage, we have to use reserve wine. It means that uh, we have a very different wines from the precedent years, precedent right. vintage in our tanks. It's always uh, still wine. It's uh, still uh, still wines. Right. And uh, we keep the wine like that uh, during many years. For instance, for, uh, I have uh, uh, 2010, 2008, even 95 uh, vintage wines. Really? It's so Now, do you keep those? So um, can we develop this idea of reserve wines a little bit further? So grapes come in from the vineyard. Uh, you make still white wine, and you keep all of the different parcels separate, maybe? Or definitely Pinot Noir and Chardonnay and uh, Pinot Meunier separate, right? Um, and then some of it goes into a blend and the bottle to aging on the lees, and some of that still wine goes into your reserve wine stock. Exactly. Is that a good exactly. description yeah, of what true. it is? Yeah, that's true. And the now, do you keep the, the reserve wine stock separate, or does it go into like a Solera system and it all gets blended together? Do you keep the reserve wine separate? Yes, always. You do? That's yes, always. always. Okay. In fact, first we make separated vinification. It means that for each village of Champagne, we try always to make separated vinification of each village because each village, each cru, has his own identity, his own style. Right. And and for each village, if you have Pinot Noir and Chardonnay, we don't make uh, a blend of Pinot and Chardonnay during the vinification. If we have uh, Chardonnay from its uh, from a village, we make a vinification of the Chardonnay of this village. If we have Pinot Noir, we make the, uh, the vinification of the Pinot Noir and Pinot Meunier, the same thing. So it's always separate, always. It's uh, important to have all these kind of possibilities of wines, of uh, aroma. Mars and uh, and for the reserve wine, we make the, the, the same thing. We we keep the, the wine separated, the cru separates separated uh, for if if it's necessary for right. many years, of course. Yeah. So when you are then coming up with the blends that will then go into the bottle to age on top of the lees, um, how many different wines? are you tasting how many different lots are possible that get blended together that go into that into that uh uh into that one bottle yeah. <laughs> it's always <laughs> difficult because i don't uh i, I never count uh, the, the different right, 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 uh, it's right. i don't know for an vintage you can have uh, 50 60 different uh, crew wow. To, yeah. which are used to make a non-vintage every year. Right. Yes. So, uh, but when we taste the wine, uh, we don't taste all the wine at the same time. We begin, for instance, to taste uh, the wine of the last vintage, the new wines. Right. Uh, we taste the Pinot Noir, Pinot Meunier, Chardonnay. And after we taste uh, uh, the reserve wine, because it's impossible to, to taste uh, 50, 60, 70 wines like that. Uh, right. uh, it's yeah. necessary to, to make a different tasting. And if you want, we build, I build the, the blend. You, right. do, do, you don't decide one morning, I'm going to make the blend of non-vintage Montodon. No, I taste the wine. I begin to select and to imagine this wine. It could be good for this blend, this wine for this blend. And after... I uh, when I work in one blend, I uh, taste again, 
And uh, I taste the Pinot Noir, I taste the Chardonnay, I taste the Meunier. I begin to make tries to, and after I taste the Reservoir, I make tries to blend this wine. And it's step by step, we uh, build the, I build the, really the, the, the blend. Yeah, that is just fascinating. How many ways do you, when you taste one still wine from Champagne before it goes into the blend, how many different ways are you thinking about it and selecting it? You might think of one in terms of structure, you know, it goes into the blend because of the structure, one in terms of the aromatics, one in terms of, do you even break it down like, I like this white lilac or flower component to this wine and then uh, and it wants to go? Or do, what are your parameters and how you think about that? In fact, uh, perhaps the, the most important uh, work for a winemaker in Champagne is to have a memory. A good memory right, is right, uh, right. the most important. But uh, I write on the paper for each tank, yeah. I write uh, what I think about the nose, what I think about the palate, what I, and what I can imagine in, uh, in which blend I could use this uh, wine. So it's necessary to write right. all the things. So I write about the structure, the flavors, uh, flowers flavors, uh, fruity flavors, right. uh, the acidity, of course, because uh, the freshness is very important. We make a sparkling wine. So right. the freshness must be really very important for, spa- for, uh, for champagne. So, but not too much acid. We are, it's necessary to have a good maturity. So it's always a problem of balance between maturity, acidity, aromas. And some wines, we, because of the experience, we know that this wine has the potential to age a long time. So we keep some wines like that as reserve wine for the next years. Another wine is uh, enough open, enough fruity, so it will be used for non-vintage. But it's like that every year. It's why a winemaker in Champagne don't, doesn't change uh, very often. Uh, we, uh, we stay in right. our company a long time because it's necessary to uh, memorize all the different villages, all the different styles of, of wine. Right. So it's, uh, it's absolutely necessary to stay always a long time in a, in a winery, in fact, right. in Champagne. So are you friends with other chef de cave of other champagne houses and you almost compare notes or um, or do you do you stick to yourself, you know, as far as uh, do you know the the chef de cave of uh, Veuve Clicquot and, um, and, and talk about, oh, this year was like this? I mean, are you friends with other folks Yes, of there? course, yes. Yeah. We, we have the same, uh, it's, 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 it's the same thing, yes. Yeah, uh, yeah because I think that, uh, it, it's funny, I think that um, champagne... Uh, might seem like a very competitive category, but when you meet people, they're usually often to share their information and what they know. You see, uh, Champagne is not, uh, it's, uh, I think, a, very, a great appellation, very right. famous appellation. I, I think really we make great wines, but uh, uh, if you look at the, the, the surface of right. the Champagne, it's not very big. So, of course, we, have, uh, we share many information with the other winemakers, right. of course. We have uh, our secret of right. the blend. Sure. It's uh, <laughs> the identity of uh, each wine, uh, each uh, champagne house. So, of course, we don't share that. that right. But about uh, techniques, about vinification, about winemaking. Yeah. Yes, we, we share many things. And we are many winemakers who, uh, who work as well with the Committee of Champagne. And 
with this uh, organization, we work for all champagne, if you right, want. Right. We share a problem, for instance, with the other winemakers, and we, sh we work together to improve something or to, uh, to speak about a problem together. Right. We think that is better than to, be, to, to stay alone in your winery. Right. If you share different things, you always improve your, uh, for the techniques, for the winemaking, and for, in fact, for the quality of the wine. Right. I think that that's interesting for folks out there listening who would have no idea of the role of the CIVC. Um, can you t say in, in a wonderful French accent what that, what that actually stands for, CIVC? CIVC. CIVC. But you know, what does it set, set out? <laughs> it's means a Comité Interprofessionnel des Vins de Champagne. All right. Awesome. It's I a, always love to hear French. Yeah. <laughs> But they, they dictate so much, and they're so powerful behind the scenes. Yeah. They even dictate when the grapes can be harvested. I don't know of any other appellation where the regulatory body is so powerful almost. But, but, but I think that Uh, some folks might see that as a negative, but I think overall producers over there see that they are in charge of keeping the quality high. And that's what differentiates Champagne from a lot of other regions in the world. Yes, I, I agree with that. Yeah, yes. yeah. And perhaps uh, the, the best organization, even in France, is the CIVC. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Yeah. It really, it's a, it's a committee for all the people who work in Champagne. Right. And so it's very important for the quality, to maintain the quality and to improve the quality. Right. It's important for the, the image. Yes, we right. can do that. Yeah. The image of Champagne right. all around the world. So really, and everybody in Champagne respects the CIVC. Right. Uh, we, when the CIVC decides something, we know it's uh, for the quality. It for the, the, it's a good thing for all all the champagne right. houses, all the vine growers. So really, there, there is a very, very important respect of the CIVC. And even now, I don't want to talk too long about the CIVC, but they're also um, really uh, pioneering the environmental piece and trying to reduce greenhouse gas emissions and trying to limit the champagne footprint on the environment. So that's very respectable. Ah, yes, yeah. that's right. And they help us to to work more and more like that uh, for right. instance especially in the vineyards uh, in our wineries all the vine growers uh, make uh, sustainable viticulture for instance and they push those CIVC pushed really all the uh, vine growers to work like that and so to limit our uh, CO2 emission yes yeah. Wonderful. This is, I'm really enjoying this conversation. I'm with Michel Parisot, from, who is the uh, enologist, chef de cave, if you will, from Champagne House Montadon. Uh, let's talk a little bit about, um, so we, we, we talked a little bit about reserve wines and, and making the blend. It then goes into the bottle, and you at Montadon do a little bit more aging on the lees than uh, what is required, right? Uh, can you talk about that? Yes, that's right. In In fact, uh, for Champagne, the, the minimum uh, on lease in the bottle is uh, 15 months. Okay. In Montaudon, uh, we choose to, to have more complex wine. So for, even for the non-vintage, uh, the, the wine age on lease in the bottle between three and four years. Right. And for the prestige cuvee, it's minimum seven years. Right. So when you do that, uh, it's for always for the quality, for the complexity of the wines. Uh, it's, uh, it's surely very, very important. But 
uh, it's not only th this step which is important. All right. the step of the production is important. Of course, for me, the most important is the quality of the grapes in the vineyard. Right, right. If you don't have good grapes, it's impossible to have good wine. So right. the first thing, uh, it's always a, a match with the weather with the, every year, is to have very good grapes. And when we decide to pick the grapes, it must be, Sorry, it must be when we have really uh, grapes without disease, but grapes with a good balance between maturity, uh, acidity. And every year, I visit a parcel of vineyards, I taste the, the fruit, and right. I speak with the vine growers. It's very important because the vine grower must uh, understand what the winemakers want to have right. a very good quality to make the, the best wines uh, possible. So, uh, Can you give us an example of a conversation you might have with a grower? I mean, you might taste the fruit and say, ah, this is not exactly what I want, or maybe you have to harvest a little bit earlier if there's, you know, the acidity is dropping yeah. fast. Give us just an example uh, of... For instance, yeah. for the last vintage, 2015, uh, when it I was warm. It was warm, but yeah. uh, when uh, we uh, I begin to I began sorry uh, to to taste the the, the fruit uh, at the beginning of September. Very quickly, uh, it when we taste, we had always vegetal flavors, green flavors. Right. So even if the, the maturity, the, the, the degree of alcohol, if you, the, the percentage of sugar, sugar, right. sugar was important. And so we, and we look that in many uh, parcels of vineyards. So, right. uh, and that's an, thing, that's an amazing thing that you get to see all of the grow, you know, all of this wide array of growers. And it gives you an almost a universal perspective that's very interesting. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. And... Uh, at this moment, we decide no, no. It's not the, the good time to to pick the grape. Yeah. It's necessary to wait. Of course, we look at the weather, right, right. Because and the weather was very good. Uh, the weather uh, was not rainy. It was always sun. We had always sun every day. So it was not the only to pick the grapes. And one of the things we we said to the the vine growers, no, no, no. For the moment, it's necessary to wait for right. that. It's uh, even if you have a good level of sugar. Right. Now this year, yeah. it's, not, it's not right. it's not ready. Right. But another year, it can be different. Right. And did that green flavor in 2015 go away after they waited? Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. Last year, we we picked the, the grapes at uh, e nearly 11 degree of alcohol, so it was good because. We didn't have any uh, green flavors, right. but we had uh, fruity, right. and we we kept we kept a good level of acidity. So for us, it was perfect. So it really it's this uh, kind of conversation we have with the vine growers. Right, right. So it's a it's a big organization because you have all the pickers. Right. Uh, to, to, to call them, uh, yes, it's not at this moment, in one week, in two days. It's a, it's a very important organization. But for the quality, right. it's really important to do uh, that. Now, if, if like rain is in the forecast uh, in two days and everything's uh, nearing ripeness and you, you decide, uh-oh, it's not worth the risk uh, that it rains and then mold develops and whatnot. I mean, how, that's a crazy... Uh, all of the pickers have to pick the vineyards really quickly, right? Yeah, but, you know, it's always a compromise. Right. Compromise of what we have in the vineyards, 
a compromise with the weather, the compromise with the pickers. It's uh, we try always to find the best compromises possible. Right. It's uh, and so you kind of hedge that bet though. If if you do have to compromise a little bit one way. Um, you might have the reserve wines or previous vintages to then uh, to to then you know compensate and and make a complete blend in the end. So when you have a really good vintage, or do you say, oh, I want to make the blend uh, have more of this really good vintage, or do you almost hold it back in case there's a bad vintage? Um, do you think about it like that? You don't. No. <laughs> in fact, uh, uh, f- even if you have a, a very beautiful vintage. The style of the non-vintage must be the same. Okay. Yeah. We know we are very happy to have a, uh, a very beautiful vintage because we know that we are going to keep very good wine as reserve wine, okay. as still wine in the tanks. Yeah. But when you have a very beautiful vintage, like uh, last year, right. we decide to make a vintage, some bottles of vintage. We don't make vintage every year. We think that the vintage in Champagne must be done only the very beautiful year. Right. If you don't have a beautiful year, it's a year for non-vintage. Right. But uh, when you have a very beautiful vintage, what is interesting is to show that this vintage can age very long time and it's a different champagne. It's uh, uh, an image right. of one year. Right. It's interesting to do that. Yeah. Um, wonderful. We are going to take a short break and hear from uh, from some station business. And uh, I'm here with Michel Parisot, who is chef de cave of the champagne house Montadon. And he's talking about what they do and all of the, the, the technique and blending and the skill of working with growers in the region of Champagne. Uh, when we come back, we're going to get into a little bit of the family history and uh, talk about some of the wines. So stick with us. Okay, we're back. Uh, this is Co-op Radio, K-O-O-P, Hornsby, Austin. Uh, we're talking with Michel Parisot, who is winemaker at Champagne House Montadon. Um, I'm, I'm going to post on the Co-op blog, so that's K-O-O-P dot O-R-G, um, a few pictures of the the bottles of Montadon and uh, some descriptions so you can kind of follow along. Uh, that's K-O-O-P dot O-R-G. Um, and if you go to slash another bottle, down, uh, you can uh, get a link to podcast and to uh, get to the archive of this show and hear all other uh, all other shows and all of our interesting guests here. So, um, Michelle, we, we, we were talking about champagne in general in the first half, and now I want to kind of dig into Montadon, and I want to start off by talking about there, there are different um, different business structures to champagne houses, right? There, there's um, the Champagne House Montadon is actually a cooperative. Yes, that's can right. you can you tell us what that really means? Cooperative means that uh, uh, we don't uh, buy uh, wines or grapes like negociant. We have to use uh, the, the grapes and so the, the wine from our vine growers. Right. And the, the vine growers, uh, of course, they, they sell us the, 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 the grapes. grapes. And after we make the, the wine from uh, these uh, grapes. And uh, you have uh, another, of course, uh, families in Champagne, right. a negociant, 
uh, can have a small part of vineyards, but generally they buy all the grapes, all the wines. And you have the recoltant manipulant. It means that it's uh, the vine grower who makes only he makes champagne only with him, his uh, grapes. His own grapes, yeah. yeah. What is very good for the, the cops? So those like, are the three ca- main categories. Yeah, Negociant, yeah. Uh, and you can see the little letters on the bottom of the champagne bo- label. Um, Negociant manipulant, which would be the NM. Yes. And then recoltant manipulant, so that's RM. Okay. And then cooperative um It's CM. It's CM. Cooperative manipulant. manipulant. Yeah. Yes. Manipulant, it means uh, that we make the, make the, the, the champagne. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And uh, so... Uh, so you can't buy any grapes from anywhere else, whereas negociants can be like, um, oh, well, I just don't want that plot this year. I want, you know, and they can buy bulk wine as well, correct? Correct. For us, we, with this uh, uh, organization for the COP, right. uh, which is very interesting for the quality, is that we can really uh, check uh, all the, the, the vineyards, the grapes. Right. And so we know exactly the quality we are going to have for at each harvest. Right. So it's very, very important for, for the quality. And we have uh, three wineries in the, in, um, sorry, uh, Montodon Company. Right. And uh, of course, we have, with that, we have a, a winery in the South Champagne, in the Côte des Bars. We have a winery in the Vallée de la Marne and a winery which is uh, at two sides in Montagne de Reims and in the Côte des Blancs. So we have grapes from everywhere right. in Champagne. We have uh, really uh, uh, all kinds of possibilities of wines. And, but for all these uh, vine growers, we check the quality in the vineyards. So it's really a, a very good thing right. and to, to maintain, to have a consistency of quality in, in the vineyards. And if you have... Very good uh, vineyards. You have very good grapes and good wines, of right. course. So th- they th- these um, wineries, um, you know, production facilities are uh, in the major regions of Champagne, and so um, they might focus on. You know, you might focus in the in the Côte de Bar more on Pinot Noir. Is that correct? Than than uh, the others, and then the the facility in the Valley de la Marne might really focus on uh, Pinot Meunier because that's where the majority Pinot Meunier is. That how it is. That how it goes. Yes. That's, yeah. that's Correct. Uh, each part of Champagne, because of the soil, the microclimate, have uh, their their style of and the, the typicity or yes, typicity of right. grapes. Right. And Vallée de la Marne is very famous uh, for for the Pinot Meunier. And Pinot Meunier, with the Pinot Meunier, we search the fruity, uh, the freshness. Right. Uh, with the Pinot Noir, we search more structure. And with the Chardonnay, more the finesse, uh, the minerality we can have in, in Champagne. Right, That's right, very cool. But uh, Montedon, let's let's go back and talk about the family history a little. Yeah. Montedon uh, started out as a negociant house. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, it was it was a, a family, and this family had uh, vineyards, especially in the Côte des Bars. So it's the part of Champagne where you have nearly 90% percent of uh, Pinot Noir. But uh, they didn't have enough uh, grapes for their uh, business, so they bought uh, another grapes in another part of Champagne. 
And it, it was a whole family, old champagne house, because they, they started uh, their activities in the 19th century. And so it was uh, at this period, it was an important negotiant. And but step by step, uh, uh, I think they have uh, some problems in the families, uh, and they sold uh, at the beginning of the 2000s their uh, all the company right. to the the group LVMH. Yeah. So for folks listening out there, LVMH is Louis Vuitton, Moet Hennessy, and they actually have a very large presence in Champagne. They own Veuve Clicquot, Moet, and Chandon. Uh, some of the larger houses, and then so they bought Montadon as well. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And after in 2010, LVMH decided decided to to sell us to our cop uh, the name Montadon, right. and it was good because we searched in our cooperative to have a uh, a very beautiful name with a good reputation. Good reputation and yeah. so it uh, it was very good for us to to buy this uh, this name this uh, champagne house. In fact. Right, right. That's crazy. I always think of um, when we talk about history of champagne houses. It's very interesting how some of them made it through World War II. What, do, do, you, do you have any stories about that with Montadon? I mean, um, World War II was a particularly tough time for for the for the uh, Champagne region, right? Yeah, that, yeah, that's right. But I think for the the two wars, it was difficult. Both, yeah. The first war, because uh, the war was in Champagne. Right. Uh, you know, the famous uh, battles uh, uh, during the first war in Champagne. So it was very difficult for the people to, to work like that. Right. And I think uh, when you have a war, you don't, you don't have really the, uh, the, the spirit to, to drink Champagne, of course. Right, But right. the first war was very difficult. The second war uh, as well, of course, uh, it was... Uh, And it was not a good period for Champagne. And uh, there was, after the Second World, you have many uh, uh, transformations, uh, many uh, uh, Champagne houses, some uh, sell the the name, another buys both the uh, the other Champagne houses. There is a new organization, but uh, perhaps. The the good thing, if we can say that, uh, during uh, the, the Second World War, it was that the CIVC right. uh, was started in uh, 1941. Ah. And uh, it was the beginning of the CIVC. And it was to, to help the vine growers, the, the champagne houses, to have an organization during a period w- which It was, was very difficult. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. And, and I think a lot of folks are thinking that now... Um, Um, champagne is uh, is in a very 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 good period. I mean, there's very high quality. I think that even with the advances, you know, it's hard to know because champagne is non-vintage. But I would say that quality is improving just overall, and that might be due to global warming. It might be due to um, advanced viticulture and winemaking techniques. Um, would you agree with that? Yes. Uh, after the Second World War. Um, Many things uh, uh, were done to improve the quality. Uh, in the vineyards, 
because uh, the CIVC selects uh, good clones, for instance, for, for the quality of vineyards and to adapt uh, the good vineyards at the soil, at our climate, uh, like the other part of uh, France. Uh, right. If you go to Burgundy, Bordeaux, they select the good clones. It's the same thing uh, in Champagne. And the CIVC works really uh, very hard right. to, to select the good clones to have uh, the good quality uh, in Champagne. The new techniques of winemaking, of course, perhaps one of the most important was uh, using of a stainless steel tank. Right. Uh, imagine after the Second World War, the, uh, you had uh, concrete, tanks with yeah. concrete. Yeah. Uh, so we didn't check the temperature. It was not very good to clean the tanks. Right. With a stainless steel tank, it was marvelous. It's always what we use in majority. Right. It's, it's a really, perhaps it's the most important thing. After that, um, the CIZC uh, select uh, the good yeast uh, to have good fermentation because uh, I always say the flavors come from the soil, from the terroir, from the cru. Right. And if you don't have a good fermentation, you have generally not a very not good, clean yeah. uh, flavors. Right. It's necessary. And the, uh, to work uh, uh, in the lab, uh, to prepare, to uh, not to prepare, but to select uh, uh, the yeast, because the yeast which are used in Champagne come from the vineyards in Champagne, except that it's a selected yeast, which we know we don't have problem about uh, fermentations. So, so it's, you don't uh, add yeast. yeast. You don't add yeast. The yeast is uh, coming we, we from... We add you yeast. You do add yeast. We, okay. We add. Okay. Okay. In Champagne, actually you have uh, uh, three four yeast which can be used ah. uh, and these yeast are uh, selected by the CIVC and uh, approved by the CIVC right. you know CIVC is so important that uh, it's impossible to use uh, uh, analogy product or yeast if the CIVC doesn't approve the quality of that. Right, it's right, impossible. Right. Um, you're also uh, experimenting with a little bit of uh, wood and oak fermentations. Is that correct? I mean, what are you doing? Any small lot stuff? Um, no, just uh, we. Uh, I use uh, a small, large barrels, uh, food in French, right. uh, to keep uh, a part of our reserve wine. And I use this reserve wine to make the expedition disgorging liquor. Right. And because the liquor is more complex about the, the flavors, and when you use a liquor like that in the, in the bottles, uh, the wine is a little more long on the palate. Right. It's a small thing, but it's always the small things Right. Which that improve, the, right, yes. right, right, right. So for folks listening out there um, who don't know, so after the, the wine is in bottle aging on the lees for Montadon three to four years, which is more than most, and then it's uh, disgorged, which is where that yeast is shot out, um, there is an addition of a little bit of sugar and what they and wine, which they call the liqueur de, de uh, expedition. And that is... Um, and that is uh, th that's what we're talking about here, and that adds that um, that uh, that that mouthfeel. It's that's interesting. Are a lot of folks doing de dealing with that? Yeah, no, it's uh, it's okay. That's, that's right. Uh, in fact. Um we put the cork, like you know, the cork in the bottle just right. after the disgorging and after putting the, the expedition liquor. Right. But during many years, uh, during the, the aging of the wine, the bottles, the bottles are closed with a crown cap, yeah. yes. Yeah. And uh, we let the, the wine like that at low temperature between uh, 
10 and 12 degree uh, in, in French. Yeah, right. it, uh, uh, Probably 60 to 65 degrees Fahrenheit. 65 degrees Fahrenheit, yeah. yes. What, um, are you tasting, how often do you taste the wine that's aging Sir Lee? How often do you as a as winemaker taste the wine that's, that's aging on the, the yeast to decide when to disgorge it? I, I taste the wine all the step because right. we check uh, bottles. Uh, after each uh, uh, step of production, right. and we we check uh, at the lab, and I taste all the different uh, samples we check in at the lab. Yeah. So I step the wine uh, just before bottling. I step the wine after the second fermentation in the bottle. I step the, the wine after riddling, uh, after disgorging. So I know exactly what we are going to, to sell right. and what the people are going to, to taste in the future, yes. Right, very cool. And then with your Cuvée Prestige, can you describe that a little bit? It's called Cuvée M. Uh, class uh, M, yes. Class, it's class M, class sorry, M yeah. yes. It's a Prestige Cuvée and we let the, the wine in the bottle minimum uh, seven years on lease in the bottle. Right. But, br- but it's also coming from different vineyards, right? Ah, yes, of course. Yes. We use Pinot Noir and Chardonnay, and it comes from uh, vineyards, especially from Premier and Grand Cru. But uh, we use uh, v- wines w- which have enough potential to age a long time. Right. Uh, how we do that, just with the tasting, when I taste the wine, I imagine because the experience and uh, when I have uh, the good balance between the acidity, the freshness, the aromas, and to the, for the prestige cuvee, I try to find wines which are always very fine, very elegant, but not too much open. Right. It must be open after seven years, but uh. not at the beginning. Uh, when the, the wine is uh, too much fruity, it's never too much, but very fruity, for instance, yeah. very open, I use it for the non-vintage because the non-vintage will stay on lease three, four years, but not seven, eight years. Yeah. But for the prestige cuvee, uh, I select really the, the wines which have really this potential to age a long time. And and over time, have you pinpointed some of the vineyards that gives you that more tension and that more kind of closed off youth that then uh, blossoms in after the seven? Uh, y- yeah. Yes, generally, uh, except some years, but... Uh, we we always know the the cru which has a good potential potential to to age, and we know generally the chardonnay, the pinot noir, uh, the, even the, the the pinot meunier, which have really this potential. Yes, it's a it's a really it's a, the taste the tasting and the memory of each cru which can do that, and. Um, we we have this possibility yeah. and uh, uh, it's difficult to explain that but uh, uh, after many years of tasting generally we find always the cru uh, which uh, gives uh, the style of our cuvee right 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 well we might have some industry folk listening and uh, some really avid consumers that might be interested in talking just a little bit about vintage so mo- you know most um we talked about that uh, most bottles only, uh, most champagne houses only bottle a vintage champagne during the best years. Can you kind of, go over the last 10, 15 years, go over some of those uh, years that you might find uh, a vintage champagne? Or, or is it different for every house? And uh, 
generally all the winemakers have the same idea of the, right, of the right, year sure. generally but uh, uh, for instance uh, for me uh, 2002 for the last vintage 2002 was uh, very very beautiful uh, 2006 as well but perhaps 2006 has not the same potential but it's a really a beautiful vintage right. uh, 2008 for the the freshness Right. The level of acidity of the freshness was very important. And I think even uh, many, many years in the future, 2008 will be good. Um, after 2012, 2012 is uh, perhaps one of the most uh, beautiful uh, vintage of the last year. Wow. Because you have the, acidi the freshness, the acidity, yeah. but you have the maturity. Uh, one of the most perfect uh, vintage yeah. of the last year. And of year. course, we won't see those vintage champagnes for another oh, uh, another three, four years, right? Because if you're aging 2012 for you know seven uh, years, five yeah. to seven years for some champagne houses, yeah. uh, we won't see those for a while. Yes, that's that's why it's. Uh, uh, you you want to to know what I, uh, f f the, the longer on the well, folks uh, folks may be um, may be interested. You know, you say 2012 is a beautiful vintage. You know, they're, they're not going to get to taste 2012 ah. for for an, another few now years. No, 2012 uh, in eight years. Uh, so <laughs> we make the bottling in 2013. Uh, you will find uh, uh, in. And because it's 2020, 2020, yeah. you will begin to, to find uh, 2012. But you know, in Champagne, you can uh, sell a vintage after three years of bottling. Right. But for us, we prefer to, to keep the, uh, the, the, the bottles, yes, six, seven, eight years uh, on lease before selling the, 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 right, the bottle. Right, yes. right. For the complexity of the wine, for the finest, it's very more interesting. Yeah. And how would you describe, so I think that um, a lot of folks think of champagne as this, you know, this non-vintage style, but when you, you know, which is fresh and lively, and when you have extended age on the lees, what, what does that do to the actual flavor? And, and how would you change your food pairings with it? Uh, for Indian vintage, uh, after three, four years, we search uh, the fruity, the freshness. For me, it must be a wine. Uh, we just begin to have some developed flavors, but its majority of flavors must be very fresh, right. very fruity, because it's uh, for me, it must be uh, uh, an easy wine. Right. Easy to drink. Right. You can uh, uh, drink, uh, taste uh, a glass of champagne and vintage uh, at all hours of the day, <laughs> if you want, it's uh, but it's the image is that right. he just uh, uh, with some friends for aperitif, with some appetizer. But even if you want to to eat something, some oysters or sushi, it's it's, it's good at all moments. Right, right. With a vintage or a prestige cuvee, because of the aging, which is very long, uh, you have more developed flavors. Uh, because of the contact between the yeast in the bottle and the wine. So you will find more dry fruit flavors. It's more complex. It's more long on the palate. Right. And with that, it's uh, really wines 
uh, which can be uh, appreciated uh, with food. Yeah. And uh, for instance, prestige cuvée like Class M is very good with Class M uh, for Christmas, for instance, or for the New Year, if you buy uh, uh, foie gras, it's, right. uh, it's very good to have this match. Yeah. Or with some cheese. Right. Uh, for me, cheese on uh, white wine and champagne, it's perfect. So it's... Right. Uh, You search. You don't search the same thing with uh, old cuvee and young cuvee. Right, fact. right, right. And champagne has this magical acidity to cut through that fat and that that saltiness of foie gras and cheese. It's just remarkable. Yes, it's a it's a match between the freshness of the wine and the yes the the, the fat of the foie gras. Right. But it's a really a good match. And and it's also really wonderful after tasting. Um, you know, sometimes I taste a lot of a lot of red wine or big bold tannic red wine. Um, tasting and, and then and then having a, a sip of champagne, it just alivens you and it and it freshens up your mouth and um, it's it's really cool. So um, well, Michel Parisot. We have run. We're pretty much out of time. Thank you so much uh, for being here, for coming into the co-op studio. I know you're uh, almost off to the airport uh, after doing a whirlwind tour of Texas. Um, and uh, thank you for being here. And I hope that we can uh, continue to stay in touch. Um, and and best of luck on your travels. Any anywhere else that you're traveling to, you're going back home. I go back home now. Okay. Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Michel Parisot is the um, chef de cave at Champagne Montadon. Uh, you can find a lot more information I'm going to post on the co-op blog. That's K-O-O-P dot O-R-G, pictures of the label. And, uh, and some other notes. And um, thank, you, thank you so much for being here, for tuning in. And um, we will uh, take a short break and get some closing statements. All right, best of travels, Michelle. Thank you very much. Bye.